Well, speaking of revival, I got to be a little bit revived on my mini sabbatical. I appreciate the church uh, for letting me have the month of July off. Uh, it helped greatly. Some people asked, what did you do? Uh, we had, took some family vacation up in Itasca area, did some camping and some fishing. Someone said, did you catch any fish? And I said, I caught enough. All right. Kind of got satisfied there. Did some uh, time in a, um, a private cabin. Got to read some books and pray and just get refreshed. <clears throat> Part of the, the reason was just get in front of things because fall is just around the corner. And here at Faithbrook, we are getting excited about inviting all our friends and community to uh, Faithbrook and just hear the good news of Christ. And we got a theme coming up. But one of the things that happens in the fall is our life groups. So we are all about loving God. We are all about loving people and journeying together. And one of the best ways we can journey together is when we group people up like Jesus did. And we learn from each other. We encourage each other. We open up the scriptures. And what is God saying to us as we persevere and go forth in Christ? So be looking to join a life group as information comes out in just about in a month or so, getting closer to September. Well, we're so glad that you have worshiping with us today. Maybe you're a guest checking out churches. A lot of people are moving into the area. I'm Pastor Jim. Uh, Pastor Mike has been a, doing a great job uh, preaching this, this month in the series of Sermon on the Mount. So thank you for coming. If you're watching us online, good for you. I know uh, we can explore different churches and maybe God can is working in your life. And uh, thank you. Now, we would love to say uh, thanks for checking us out, being our guests. And one of the best ways we can do that, if you'd be willing to fill out this blue card that's sitting in front of you in the chair, take the pen and fill that out during the sermon. And after at the end of the service, if you would drop that in on one of our offering boxes that we have around the building. Uh, we're going to give you a personal note. Just say thank you for being our guest. And at the same time, we're going to send $5 to a local a food shelf. I think uh, we've had hundreds of dollars go to a cross food shelf because people have been willing us to give their names. And we just want to say hello. Thanks uh, for coming and visiting, being our guest. So let's continue in our series. Uh, Pastor Mike Delgallo. Well, before we were married, my wife, Jen, lived in a house with four other girls. And next door to her was a house full of guys. There were five guys that lived there. Now, my wife is not known to have any rivals or enemies. She's a pretty friendly, loving person. She doesn't have very many enemies in her life. But man, there was one guy that lived next door, and if there was to be someone who was an enemy or a rival, it was this guy. You see, this guy, he would uh, po po uh, make fun of her a little bit. He would poke fun at her. He was uh, very funny. He liked to joke around a lot. And uh, it, but it made it even worse with his jokes was not only did people find him funny, but anytime there was a moment for a joke to happen, she'd be thinking of the joke. And before she could get it out, this guy would say it just before her. And she would just get really frustrated, really annoyed, and she just could not stand this guy. In fact, she just, uh, he was just so annoying, and she could not stand him. I think most of us, we, we think about the people in our lives, and I, I don't know if we have mortal enemies. I'm not sure that we would say we have a mortal enemy that we're facing off against someone, but I think we do have a, a rival. We might have a, a little rival with someone. You know, maybe, uh, maybe you have someone at the workplace who, uh, who the boss just loves, 
and they always get that deadline done just before you. They happen to maybe get that a promotion just before you, and they, uh, they get all the accolades just before you. Uh, maybe a lot of us can identify uh, being Minnesotans. We have a, a favorite sports team, and there's a rival team that we just can't seem to beat, especially when it matters. Well, today we're going to be talking about how do we actually treat our rivals? How do, we, how do we interact? How do we interact with our enemies, our rivals? And what does Jesus say about how we are to interact with these people? Well, welcome back to our series called Summer on the Mount. We are going through the Sermon on the Mount uh, recorded in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And this, is, uh, this series is uh, going over this whole sermon. And uh, uh, there's a lot of iconic passages uh, in, this ser- uh, in this sermon. Uh, maybe you've heard of the Lord's Prayer. That comes from here. Uh, maybe you've heard of the Beatitudes. That's uh, within this as well. And really this sermon, what Jesus is he's delivering, it really kind of lays out uh, how to live morally and how to live uh, and process our life. But this series, what, uh, what we're going through with it is we're taking what Jesus says at the end of the sermon in chapter 7. And what he does is he challenges his uh, listeners to not just be hearers of his words, but to be doers as well. And when we do that, we are like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. And what we found is that when we practice what Jesus preaches, we find peace. When we practice what Jesus preaches, we find peace. And so for the rest of the series, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount, discovering how we can be followers of Jesus. And for today, and even this past three weeks, we have been looking at Jesus' words are concerning how we are to interact and how we are to treat other people. And this week specifically, we're going to be looking at Jesus' words regarding our enemies or our rivals in our life and how we are to treat them. Now, we're actually going to go a little bit beyond that. We're going to go a little bit deeper, and we're going to see how today and even the past three weeks really come to a climax for what Jesus is uh, really wanting for his listeners. In fact, it not only builds up to this point, but everything that we've heard uh, coming up to here builds on this, and everything we're going to hear for the rest of the series is going to build on this point as well. So you're going to want to make sure to, to listen in because everything ties together really nicely through this, this week. And if we can really understand, if we can really get a hold of what Jesus is teaching this week, if we can really understand it, it can really give us a new perspective in how we are to be followers of Jesus. And so the tension throughout the series is this, is that do we, do we really take his word seriously? Do we take what Jesus says so seriously that we're actually willing to put it into practice? Are we going to be that wise person who builds on the rock, or are we going to be a foolish person who builds on the sand? And I I truly believe that Jesus wants us to be a wise person to build on the rock, hence why he gives us the challenging words we've been hearing all along. So let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 5. You might have an analog one that you can uh, flip open with actual pages. Uh, If you're like myself, you have uh, the YouVersion Bible app on your cell phone. This is something that I use. If you don't have it, download it from your app store. It's free. It's awesome. It's what I uh, use to read the Bible every day. I carry it with me wherever I go. It's awesome. So You can download that. You can go to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't know where that is, that's in the New Testament. Now, uh, over the past, past few weeks, if you've been listening along, this might be a little bit of a recap, but uh, just to kind of uh, bring everyone up to speed, Jesus has said two main phrases uh, over the past four weeks that he has repeated. And the first phrase that he said is this. He says, you have heard it said. Now, the reason why he, he says this is because uh, there's something that he brings up that's uh, challenging his listeners, and they have heard it said one way, and Jesus is coming to, uh, to bring up the topic or, or issue. Now, it's not really 
really what was supposed to be said. It's not the actual intention, but Jesus is bringing it up to, to bring it about. Uh, the second thing that he, he says, he says, but I tell you. He said, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And he's speaking this on authority. He's saying that this is how it's actually supposed to be. It's not how you've heard it, but this is what it is. And this is how I'm going set to the, set the record straight. Now, the reason why he, he does this is because as Jesus is coming onto the scene, there have been people that showed up before him. There are people who have shown up and they have said, hey, you know, I am a, I'm a prophet. I'm a prophet of God and I have a new word for you. And, and what Jesus is, uh, what these uh, false prophets would do is they would say, I have a new word and we're going to do away with what's in the old and I'm going to bring in a new word. Now, what Jesus says is he's coming in and he's to say, no, no, I'm actually not doing away with anything. In fact, I've come here to fulfill the words of the Old Testament. So he's really coming in contra uh, contradiction to those people before him. So he's setting up that he is indeed someone who is different. Now, as uh, uh, coming into this, he's, uh, as he's speaking and teaching on these things, uh, he's really speaking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the teachers of the day. They would be the modern-day pastors, if you will. And they, they had uh, a lot of issues. You see, they were, all, they, they were the last stand in all things regarding to the law. The law had 613 rules, if you will. And they, they uh, really wanted to live up each and every one perfectly. They were the model Jews. They, they were the guys. They strove to live out all 613 laws perfectly. And so what they, what they had done with a lot of these laws is they had reduced them. They had, they had taken things such as murder and adultery and retaliation, and they made them to just physical outward sins. And they didn't really deal with the issues of the heart. And so when Jesus comes in and he's talking about these things, he's saying it's not really about the outward, uh, the outward sins that you're doing. It's really about what's going on in here. Now, the Pharisees the, the, the reason there's tension is then they lessened these, uh, these laws is because they truly believed that if every Jew could live out all 613 laws perfectly for one day, that the Messiah would come, that would deliver them from economic and social oppression, and that they would be delivered and uh, they would be established as God's nation uh, again. So they, they really believed that if they, they lived out these laws perfectly and they did all the right things, the Messiah would show up. But Jesus comes, and then he really wants to set the record straight. And actually, he says he wants, he wants his listeners for their, uh, to live in such a way that the righteousness was beyond the Pharisees. In fact, they lived in a way that was more holier than the Pharisees. It's not just about the rituals, but it's really about a change of heart. And so the, the question he's bringing up is, is uh, uh, for them being hearers and doers, are they actually uh, taking heed to what Jesus is saying, or are they just going through some motions? Are they just going through the motions just to check off some boxes, or is there actual heart change going on uh, with, within them? And the problem with the Pharisees is they didn't care about the heart. They cared more about the external and physical. So we're going to go ahead and continue in chapter 5. We're going to jump all the way down to verse 43. And this is, what, this is what Jesus says. He says, you have heard it said, there it is again, you've heard it said, that, uh, that love your neighbors and hate your enemy. Now, at first, as we hear this, we go, oh, I, I, I think that sounds good. I mean, sure. I mean, lo love, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Sure, that sounds decent, I guess. Well, this actually comes from Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus is a book of all the laws. It has all these different laws in it. Uh, if you read through, there's a lot of uh, different things. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And uh, so there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. And so we come into this chapter, and there's a lot of just practical things. And one of them is, uh, is this. And uh, it actually says, it says this. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the actual text says. Now, the Pharisees, they, they, uh, they wanting to live out this law perfectly, 
they got caught up on one of the words, and one of the words is neighbor. And so the question they asked was, well, who exactly is my neighbor? Say, I think for us today, we think of a neighbor, and we think the person on the left and the right, maybe behind us, maybe the person across the street, maybe that, that's where a neighbor was. Well, that was the kind of question they had, too. Who, who is my neighbor? Is, uh, who, who is this? You see, if they could pinpoint who their neighbor was, then they, could be, uh, then they could figure out how to exactly live out this law, and then they could figure out how to then live out the 612 rules perfectly. So the, re- the teachers and the Pharisees, they, they argued. They, they had these different, uh, they had different uh, interpretations of what the neighbor was, and they, they came to the point that said that a neighbor is only a fellow Jew. That's what they came to the conclusion. Because they read a couple, uh, the sentence before, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. So they said, well, if the, uh, a neighbor must be your people, so it's a, it's a, it must be a Jew. It must be a fellow Jew. So everyone else, uh, you don't need to love them because they're not a Jew. So them, well, if you don't love them, what's the opposite of love? Dislike? Nope. We're going to hate them. So, so they, they're actually known for uh, being very, uh, very mean and cruel to uh, non-Jews. They were great amongst their people, but they were very mean towards outsiders and uh, weren't very nice. And that was kind of the reputation uh, specifically with the Pharisees that they had uh, in, that, in that time. Now, for some Jews, some of them even took that term neighbor and even went a little harder on it. And they got really specific. They even said, that's not just all Jews. Neighbor is really only your immediate family, your small circle of friends. And maybe for some, maybe some, it could even mean those in your local church. That's who they said that's who your neighbor was. Everyone else, you didn't have to love. That wasn't the command. You didn't, have to, you didn't have to love them. You can actually hate them. Hence why Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was the added text. Now, the irony in this is if you read down in Leviticus, uh, one, you're reading Leviticus, so that's good on you. But two, if you actually would read down and go down to verse 34, it, it actually says that if a sojourner or, or a stranger or, uh, would actually come and live in the land, you were to love them. You were not to mistreat them, but you were to love them as your, yourselves because they were once people who were strangers in the land of Egypt. So he says, you're, you're to uh, love your neighbor as yourself, but they completely dis- dis- disregarded that. They clearly didn't read any further. They got hung up on this verse, and they took something that was supposed to be a positive command. They took something that to love your neighbor as yourself, they took a positive t- command and turned it into something negative. So now Jesus comes, and he's wanting to set the record straight. So he says, you've heard it said, and then this is what he says in verse 44. He says, but I tell you, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who, perse- who persecute you. And we see right away, Jesus takes it a step further. He doesn't address neighbors anymore. He goes right to what would be beyond your neighbor. Well, you say it's your enemies. And what's he say to do to them? He says to not hate your neighbor. He actually says to love them. You see, Jesus is clearing the air that neighbor is not just uh, someone who's a fellow Jew. It's not just your immediate family. It's not just those in your local church. In, In a lot of ways, what he's saying is it's a fellow human. Your fellow human is your neighbor. Now, he says to love your neighbor. Now, the word love is a really interesting word, and in the Greek, there's a lot of different, different words for love. And in this specific context, it's uh, really translated like an unconditional love. So really, a reading could be, I tell you to unconditionally love your enemies. Now, this, uh, obviously, this love is not something that is uh, the feelings that you have. It's, it's not a, a romantic feelings, uh, but it's really this, uh, this idea of having a sense of duty, that you, would, that you would do good works for someone. 
uh, because I think if we find that that would be kind of hard for Jesus to command us to have feelings towards our enemies and to have uh, a romantic love to them. You can't really command that because you can't command someone's feelings. So we, we realize that this is really about what are we going to do? How are we going to act towards uh, our enemies? And Jesus says that we are to show kindness. We are to show generosity. We are to do, uh, do uh, good deeds to everyone, including our enemies. And we see in this Leviticus passage that it says to love your neighbor as yourself. And so the whole point is that that however you would show love to yourself, however you would do that, that is the kind of love you are to treat and show others. And then Jesus says, right after that, he says to pray. Pray for your um, persecutors. He says, not only should we love our enemies, but we should pray for those who show ill treatment towards you. You see, after uh, in that time, there was, there was some persecution from the Roman Empire. They, uh, they, were, they were being uh, oppressed. There were some terrible taxes and laws that they had. Uh, there was a lot of things that they had to uh, be uh, subjugated under the Roman uh, Empire. It was not all, um, all roses in that, in that time. But even after Jesus' resurrection, we, we see that the Christians, the early Christian church, was heavily persecuted by the Roman Empire. And even in this, he's saying that you should, you should pray for your persecutors, pray for those who are persecuted. Uh, even when Jesus is being crucified, if you read in the, the Gospels, uh, one of them mentions that he even prays for his persecutors as they are uh, crucifying him. Jesus' words are this. He says, Father, have mercy on them, for they do not know what they are, they are doing. And we see even Jesus lives out his words to pray for his persecutors. And here's the interesting thing about this is that as we think about the context of this verse and what Jesus is, is uh, talking about, he's saying that not only should we, we love our fellow humans, love our neighbors, he says, but actually pray for those who are showing ill will towards you. Pray for them. Don't, don't be like this. So in that day, the Jews would, uh, they would be persecuted and they'd have ill will towards. They, they'd be uh, thinking uh, of, of ways of how they could overthrow the Roman Empire. They'd be thinking of ways of how they can uh, dismantle everything. They actually wouldn't do it, but they did not love their neighbor by any stretch of the imagination. And so what Jesus is really saying is, he's saying if you actually are praying goodwill for your persecutors, if you think about this for a second, if you're praying good things for someone, you really can't wish bad things for them at the same time. Try it right now. Just try it. Try to think of, try to think of your rival. Who's that rival in your life? And you might be thinking bad things like, ooh, I hope something terrible happens to them. But just for a moment, just think, okay, if you actually think something good for them, think of a blessing in their life, you can't think of something good and bad at the same time. I mean, I guess you could. You could pray something good and then hope they something. But really, if you truly are hoping for something good, you can't, think, you can't duly do those at the same time and actually do it. And so what Jesus is really saying is that, uh, that our, we should actually be praying for those people. And when we do, what you find is that your heart and attitude changes towards them. So Jesus says to, to pray and love your enemies and pray for your prosecutors. Why? Well, he continues in verse 45, and this is what he says. He says, do these things that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, the whole reason Jesus is saying that we are to love our enemies and pray for our prosecutors, our persecutors is because we are to emulate We are to be like God. You see, if we're going to be followers of God, then our behaviors are to model him as well and emulate his. And if we're going to be hearers and doers of what he says, we can't help 
but see our heart become more like Christ. You see, God loves unconditionally. As we see here in this verse that he causes, the, he causes his sun to, sh- uh, to shine on both those who love him and don't love him. And he also causes the rain to fall on both those who love and don't love him. And the whole, the whole thing is that God loves unconditionally. And I think a lot of times when we think about loving someone, we love conditionally. We love only if they love us back. Well, Jesus has some, has some uh, words for this. And he says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? You see, Jesus is saying that it's, it's so easy. It's, you know, if someone's uh, loving you and, and kind to you, it's easy to reciprocate that. He says, even tax collectors do this. Now, who are the tax collectors? Oh, man. <laughs> tax collectors, think of the IRS times like a million. It's just terrible. So what these, what these people, uh, the tax collectors, they were hired by the Roman Empire. And they, what they would have to do is they'd have to pay the tax fees up front to the Roman Empire. And then it was their job to go through their region and collect the tax money to essentially pay themselves back. And the Roman Empire didn't care what they did. They just said, hey, you, you, uh, you paid the state a flat fee. You paid us uh, your end. You go out and do whatever you want. So these tax collectors would go out in their region and they would tax everything. They tax merchandise, they tax uh, imports, exports, and there wasn't a, a, a set fee. They could tax whatever they wanted. So you can just imagine that uh, the different tax collectors would collect different things. They'd, uh, they'd be very greedy. They, they were despised just because they, they just were terrible. And, and you could just think of the, uh, the, the cruelty that they had. They were so greedy, they extorted. And on top of that, because they did this, the Jews had come to, to know that these tax collectors were part of the reason this hardship was, was happening in the first place. They, 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 were, they were helping the Roman Empire continue and to continue to uh, have the oppression and pain and injustice that was happening. Now, some of these tax collectors, uh, they were not only just Roman citizens, but some of them were Jews too. Some of them were, were Jews. So you could just imagine the kind of feelings they would have if your literal neighbor was a tax collector, a fellow Jew, and here he is showing this kind of uh, greed and this unkindness and just despicable kind of a person. You can imagine the kind of feelings that you would have towards this kind of a tax collector when you knew they came around, they were going to get you for every last penny that they could and then some. And so Jesus is saying that even these kind of people, even these people who who are acting on evil and they're sinful, he says, even they are capable of loving those who love love them. Even they are capable of this. And so he's asking, he's like, so what benefit is it to show love to only the lovable? What what how is that advancing my kingdom? What is that doing? You know, I, I don't think we have this kind of level of people that we despise in today's culture right now here in the, uh, America. We don't have these kind of people going around and taking this. But I think we, we do have people that maybe, uh, maybe we don't despise them, but maybe we don't agree with them. Maybe, maybe they're the kind of people who think completely opposite or completely different than us. Maybe they believe uh, a different religion. Maybe they uh, are on a different side of a political aisle than, than us. What, what, uh, what, there, there's, there's a division between us. So how is our attitude towards them? Is it one of, of hate or is it, is it one of, of love? And so Jesus continues. He says, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? 
Now, this greeting is not just saying a hello, uh, like, our, uh, like our guest service team does. They, they greet and they say, hey, guys, welcome. It's so good to have you today. No, this, this kind of greeting is more of like a hospitable sense. This is the actual kind of a greeting where you would actually take someone into your, your home. And it's, it takes it a step further, and it's really about this idea of uh, being hospitable to, to famous people, to people who have uh, some high prestige. And so what, what Jesus is, is saying that uh, everyone— Everyone's potentially hospitable if a famous person shows up. If a famous person shows up to your door and needs to stay for the night, of course you're going to welcome them in. Of course you're going to give them your best things because they're famous. And, and Jesus is saying, well, everyone's doing that. He says, even the pagans. And the pagans were non-Jews. These were people who believed completely different things in them. They had uh, multiple gods. Uh, they, many of them you had multiple religions. He says, even these kind of people who are completely different than you, even they are capable of showing this kind of hospitality. Even they are capable of, of doing this. You see, he's saying, you're calling yourself a follower of God. You're a Jew. You call yourself a follower of God, but you're not living out what I command. He's saying, you're calling yourselves followers, but you look just like everyone else. He says, you follow God, but you look just like the culture around you. What, what's different? Now, what comes next is so important. It's so important because it affects not only what we've heard in the past weeks, but it's going to affect everything that comes in the weeks to follow. This is sort of a climax, if you will, in the, in the text. And it really reveals, really reveals how the righteousness is to surpass that of the Pharisees. And this is what Jesus says in verse 40 as he wraps this up. He says, be perfect, therefore, as the heavenly Father is perfect. Whoa. Be perfect like God is perfect? How is that possible? There's no way. There's no way that's possible. How, how could you command something that just is so impossible? Well, first, the, this idea of, of being, it's not so much in the present tense, so it's not right now. You've got to be this ultimate perfection. But it's, it's a, a, better, a better way would be uh, you are to be perfect. That could be a way to read it maybe. Uh, become perfect or to begin the process of perfection. Now, when we think of perfection, I think we have a couple different definitions that might go through our head of what perfection is. We think about how God is perfect, and we think about how he's perfect in thought and deed, and everything he does is perfect. Now, this isn't the kind of sense of perfect that is being talked, uh, talked about here. The, the real, a better word might be mature. Uh, the, this, the idea of this kind of perfect is, is a sense of growing up, being fully grown, mature, maybe coming into the fullness, or there's a wholeness to it, uh, being complete. So what Jesus is really saying is, is to become mature as God is mature. Because our character is supposed to resemble God. You see, the, the Jews listening in to, to this, they would, have, they would have clued in and they, uh, a couple things would have triggered in their head. And they, uh, one thing that would have reminded them in their 613 laws that's scattered all throughout is a phrase that was, all, uh, was scattered. And it was this, it's be holy because I, the Lord God, am holy. You see, being holy is, is a, a, another word for that is to be set apart. So be set apart as I am set apart. You see, the, the whole point of the laws, the whole point of all this, uh, to, to give the Jews all these rules and laws, the whole point of that was to give them a standard of living that would actually separate them from the rest of the surrounding world and cultures, that the way that they lived was different than the cultures around them. The way that they would worship was different, and the very God that they worshiped was different. 
And they were to, uh, where, where Israel is, if you looked at the, uh, a map, it was right smack dab, right in the middle of the known world. All trade and commerce had to go through, uh, through Israel. So they were literally to be acting different. They were literally to be acting as a light to the surrounding nations. And the whole point, the whole reason is that they would be radically different. They'd be set apart. They'd be a perfected people. They'd be different. Because then those surrounding nations would come to know God. They'd be reconciled to God through this nation that was living in an entirely different way and living in according to God's will. That was the whole point for it. And now for us today, we're no longer living necessarily under these, these laws, but being a follower of Christ, for those of us that are, that are followers of Christ, it's not just about our own personal salvation. That's great. That is awesome. But really what it's all about is about to, for us to be on mission as well. That our lives are radically different, that our lives are radically set apart, they're perfected, they're different than everything else around us, that non-believers would be able to see our lives, they'd be able to see Christ in us, and they would be reconciled to Jesus as well. So what we find is that Jesus calls us to live differently so that we can make a difference. Jesus calls us to live differently so that we can make a difference. You see, he calls us to be different, and it's for his purpose. He calls us to be set apart so we can make an impact on those around us. We're to be set apart to be an example of God's love. You see, this is really all about taking on the heart of, of God. And this is really impossible without the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit working in and, and through us. And what we find is that when we take on the heart of God, we, we can't help but work through our heart issues. You might have heard of something called the sanctification process. Uh, another, uh, another word is uh, entire sanctification. And sanctification means to be sanctified or to be purified. And what this is, is the sanctification process, it really means becoming more like Christ, becoming more like God. Our character is being shaped to be more like him. You see, each week... Jesus went beyond the, the physical sin. He went beyond murder. He went beyond adultery. He went beyond retaliation. It wasn't just about the outward that we do, but really it comes back to the heart. It comes back right to the heart. And so what Jesus is really bringing up, he's saying, is, is your heart set apart? Is your heart perfected? Is your heart becoming mature? Is it living out a complete and mature love? Because Jesus calls us to live differently so that we can make a difference. So if this is the case, how are we supposed to be hearers and doers of Jesus' words? You know, where, where do we begin? Where, what does that look like? How can, we be, how can we move forward in living differently? Well, today there, there are actually three people who are going to be baptized. Uh, we have two students and an adult. And today that they are in their baptism, they are declaring that they are wanting to live differently for Jesus. They're declaring in amongst uh, all of us that, that they want their lives to, to be different. And they're going to make an impact and a difference in the world around them. Now, for the rest of us here, maybe some of us have been baptized already. Maybe you're not ready to take that step yet. But we're not being baptized. All of us aren't going out and being dunked. But uh, here's, a, here's a great challenge for us to be thinking about this week as we set our heart on, on Christ and our hearts being uh, set apart. So here's a great question for you to be thinking about this week. Is who is your enemy that you can be praying for? Who is your enemy that you could be praying for? Now, you may not have, like I said, a mortal enemy, but maybe you do have that rival in your life. Maybe it's someone at, uh, maybe it's someone at, at, uh, at work. Maybe it's someone uh, online. Maybe it's someone in social media. 
But who, who is that person? Who, who is that person that you would consider a rival? Who would that person be? And the second thing to think about is for that rival, what would it look like to start praying for them? What would it look like to start praying for them? Now, this is not, this is not uh, praying bad things, such as, oh, I hope a truck hits them, or um, I hope they have financial downfall. Now, I, I say that funny because sometimes, sometimes our hearts can go there. But what would it be to, to actually pray goodwill? What would it be to actually pray that, man, I, I, gotta, I, I do hope you bless them. I, I hope that with this promotion that it does bless the family. And, you know, maybe you don't know what's going on in their life, but that it is a blessing for them. Think about what, what, uh, what that would look like. And I, I bet you, I bet you your attitude and your interaction with them would start to change over time. You see, when we begin to take on the heart of God, we, we start to take on our own heart issues as well. And from that, we can see that we make a real difference in the world around us. Well, Jen, Jen was uh, getting fed up with her rival, this, this guy next door. She was just getting fed up with him. So she confided in one of her, her roommates. She told him uh, all about this guy and just how annoying he is and just what a, uh, what a thorn in her side and just annoying. And so the roommate offered up a suggestion. She said, why don't you start praying for him? What would that look like to start praying for this guy? Well, Jen, Jen was like, oh, I guess. So she started praying for this guy. And after a little bit, her heart towards this guy started to change it started to shape, and, and uh, soon they began to see a, a friendship started to, to form out of this. And, and her heart completely changed that she, she wasn't so frustrated with him anymore, even though, uh, according to her, that he was annoying, and uh, you know, he wasn't really that funny. But his, her heart towards him started to change. And would you know it, two years later, she would marry this guy. You see, when we pray for others, our hearts really do change towards them. Because Jesus calls us to live differently so that we can make a difference. Now, I'm not saying that you pray for your rival, that necessarily you're going to marry them or get in a relationship with them. In fact, if you're married and you're praying for a rival, I probably don't want that to happen. But, but how different? How different would our everyday lives be if we, if we really weren't intentional, if we really, really did think and seek for the well-being of those of us who, uh, who cause us disruptions, who are our rivals? How, how would that look? How, how, would, uh, how, how do you think that would change your interaction with this person? You know, I, 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 really, do, I really do think that uh, it would be amazing. I bet you, specifically in the, in the workplace, I bet you your workplace attitude would change. I even mentioned someone maybe online, you have a rival there that you go, you go back and forth in each other's walls and posts and go back and forth, but what would it look like if you actually prayed for them? How, how would your interaction with that person change? How, how, how would your demeanor change toward them? And I think you would start to see a, a major impact because God does want us to live differently. He does want us to interact differently than the culture around us because he wants us to make a difference. And I think not only would that impact our workplace, but I think we'd start to see a change in our communities. I think we'd uh, start to see God uh, doing amazing things in and through us because that is what happens when, when we start to being hearers and doers of God's word. That we, when we do that, we really can be that wise person who builds on the rock. So let's go ahead and stand together as we, as we go today. 
And I, uh, for, for today, as we're, we're going, I want us to, to pray together. And as we, we think of that rival in our mind, who's that rival? Think of that person. Think of that person. Maybe, maybe you don't have that person yet, but think about them. Think about them. And, and let's pray together for this person. We, uh, we can pray, pray together about what it would be to pray for, for our rival. So Jesus... We, we come before you. We are so thankful that we can be here and gather and worship. And God, we, as we leave today, as we set foot out and we uh, interact the world around us, God, we, we have a, a rival in our mind. And maybe, maybe we don't have a rival yet, but we know they're going to come. You know, uh, history tells us right, we will get, have rivals. But God, I, I just, as, I, as we're thinking about this person, Lord, just pray for just a blessing on them. God, may, may, you, may you bless them this week. As you say, you, you cause the sun and the rain to both shine and fall on them. And God, we really pray just a blessing for them, that you'd bless their family, that you'd bless, bless their life, that uh, whatever trials and hardships that they're going through, that may, they, uh, may they come to know you. And may, may, maybe, uh, maybe we can be a conduit, that they may see our lives and see the way that we interact with them, see even our change of heart towards them, that, that they can just get a glimpse, a taste of who you are, so that they can be reconciled to you. So Jesus, we lift this person up, and we just, uh, again, pray a prayer blessing over them. And we thank you, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, at this time, as uh, before we go, we are having some baptisms today. Yeah, there, okay. This is awesome, guys. We, got, um, we actually have quite a few happening this next month. But today we're going to be celebrating three baptisms. So I want to encourage everyone to go out the side doors. This way we'll be having uh, baptisms in about 10 minutes. And for those of you who are online or on site and watching later, maybe uh, if you can't tune in today, make sure to check on social because they will for sure have some pictures posted um, of this awesome time celebrating. So as we go, may you be blessed and look forward to seeing you out there at the, at the lawn. Have a good one.